welcome to the Badass Breastfeeding Podcast. I'm Diane, your lactation consultant. And I'm Abby, the Badass Breastfeeder. And right now, Diane has our review of the week. I do. Here it is. It is from Erin V. Marlowe. And she says, thank you both. I'm a first-time mama to a six-month-old baby girl who is exclusively breastfed. Before having her, I knew nothing about breastfeeding except that I really wanted to do it. After a few weeks, I realized I was way in over my head and had a ton of questions like, why was she hungry every 30 minutes instead of the two to three hours the doctors told me about? I didn't have any mamas to ask around me who breastfed for longer than a month. Long story short, I felt like giving up and switching her to formula because my baby wasn't in line with the standards. I thought something was wrong. So as I was desperately researching, I stumbled upon this podcast and binged about 30 episodes. And by then, I think you both answered every single question I had. You helped me realize that my body knows what it is doing. The breastfeeding is hard, and it's okay to say that. It's okay for my baby to nurse all day and night. That it's okay to have my baby close at night. So I have to thank you for encouraging me and all the other mamas out there. Oh, thank you. You've done an amazing job because you know what? This is freaking hard. And... It is really in the beginning like that, where she's saying like, okay, I'm in over my head. The baby wants to eat every 30 minutes. Is that wrong? Blah, blah, blah. Like, that's legit. Like, everybody goes through that. I feel like everybody feels like that. And a lot of people do give up because they feel like their baby is not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, that's like, it's so much of the, that's so much of just of it is just not knowing. And we don't see breastfeeding. We're not really around it. So we don't even know what it's supposed to look like, what the normal things are, you know, and then you go to the hospital if you have a hospital birth or even I had a home birth and it wasn't like, it wasn't like, you know, there wasn't a big focus on breastfeeding and what the normal things were going to be. And you're just kind of left there with just this baby. And you're like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what it's supposed to be doing. Right. And then you go to the doctor and they're like, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Or your mother-in-law tells you you're doing it wrong. Or your sister tells you you're doing it wrong. Like, nobody tells you what to do anyway or how to do it. And there is no right or wrong. This is a baby. They change it up every day. So it's okay to feel like, what am I doing? Yeah, that's normal, too. I think that's just It's going to seem... Yeah. Like, it's going to seem... It's going to seem really chaotic and like you don't know what you're doing, but... Trust your, you know, instinct. yeah. And nobody tells us that. Nobody's like, this is going to be really weird at first. Like, it's going to seem like your baby doesn't know what they're doing. It's going to seem like you don't know what you're doing. You know, your baby's going to be doing one thing and then another thing. And it's going to seem strange because you've never been through it, but it's normal. So, no one says that. It took what? It took me th- 10 seconds to say that. No one says it. Everybody should say it. So, that's why we're telling you, everybody that's listening, you just heard it. <laughs> that's it. Rant over about that because right. it's true. Like, it's just, it's true. And for whatever reason, everybody wants to tell you what to expect. But that is not realistic. So listen to your baby. Listen to your body. Do what feels right. And it's okay if your baby wants to eat more often sometimes. That's normal. I do. I mean, <laughs> I mean come on. That wasn't in the See? book. Me wanting right. to purge on a bag of potato chips, right? That's not in the book. Um, yeah. Regardless, nobody wants to hear my eating habits. But it's, it's, <laughs> it's totally true. So we would love to get your reviews. Totally send us your reviews because we really want to know like how you guys are doing, what's happening. 
what you like, what you don't like, what helped you. Um, iTunes is a great way to do it, but you can also email us because we get those too. And we do read those like on the air as review of the week. We don't only do review the week out of iTunes. We do them from everything. And, you know, people send us suggestions for episodes, which is so cool. So we would love to, to get your reviews and hear your success stories. And that's badass breastfeeding podcast at gmail.com. Yes. That's what it is. So you want to tell us about this week? Yeah, so this week is very exciting, and it's also very timely. We have um, Kimberly Seals-Allers, um, and we're talking about racism within birth and breastfeeding, and she's here with us now. Fantastic. Hi, and I am here with uh, Kimberly Seals-Allers. She is uh, an award-winning journalist, author of five books, including The Big Letdown, How Medicine, Big Business, and Feminism Undermine Breastfeeding. She's a speaker. She is an activist on all things maternal and infant health. She's a co-creator of Black Breastfeeding Week, and she's been seen in everything from Pregnancy Magazine to CNN. She's everywhere and a mom. Kimberly, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. That mom part is the most important job. Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So, and who are you a mom to? So I have two children. I am a mother to uh, my 20-year-old Kayla, who is a uh, rising junior at Spelman College, and my 16-year-old son, Michael, who is a, um, a sophomore in high school. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. That's Seems exciting. like, you know, time went by quick. <laughs> yeah. Don't they can always say that? And you're like, oh, stop saying that. And then it turns out to be true. <laughs> um, so you yes. um, you are, are you do everything um, and you have been so instrumental in um, advocating for breastfeeding, especially in the black community. Um for everybody, but you are, you have most recently, I think most recently, started something called the Earth app. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and, and really Earth, which is I-R-T-H, we say it's birth, but we drop the B for bias. For me, it's that. really a uh, continuation of the work that I've been doing on the ground. For the past eight years, I've been honored to you know lead community uh, partnered projects, mostly funded by the Kellogg Foundation. And those were really designed to understand like community influences, because even often in our breastfeeding conversation, you know, we're saying, hey, you should breastfeed, you should breastfeed. But have have we checked in locally to see if that's possible? Um, does that mean that there's support available lo- locally? Does that mean that there's a social sentiment that supports that, right? And so we've had this very individualized approach to bre- birth and breastfeeding, such as it's really up to you without checking in to see what's available locally. And if you think about this, I mean, I think in our bigger food conversation, we've already acknowledged that that's not the greatest way to approach it, right? And so now we acknowledge that there are food deserts and that it is not just a to that person to access healthy fruits and vegetables and that actually if you can do so easily or you if you have to travel 30 miles to do that matters including also safe spaces to exercise so in the same way how do we what do we know about what's happening locally that could impact both a 
birth outcomes, but also breastfeeding initiation duration. And so as a result of doing these projects and exploring this this idea, which was really me putting on my journalist hat and asking folks a lot of questions uh, in their communities, um, what was obvious was this, you know, constant thread um, around the, ex- the experiences people were having in their healthcare interactions. And that um, ranged from you know, uh, experiences of mistreatment, which have been documented to be higher among uh, black and brown women, particularly indigenous women. Um, and, uh, and also, you know, as we know, death, the black maternal mortality rate is, is unconscionably high in this country, as is the black infant mortality rate. And so, as I was working in these cities and I worked in Jackson, Mississippi, Birmingham, um, Alabama, New Orleans, and I moved and we, we worked in Philadelphia. We spent several years in Detroit and, you know, it was always the same thing. Um, and so I was deeply troubled to see this thread, particularly around poor experiences of healthcare interactions, um, much of it related to you know, stereotypes around uh, racist stereotypes um, and things like that, and really wanted to create a solution that could address it. That's incredible. And and so the app itself, how it's I, I saw it described as a Yelp like app. Yes, it definitely is a Yelp like app. So it's a Yelp like and I, we and I'll talk about the like part review and, and rating service for uh, maternity and infant care. So it, it will capture your prenatal experience plus an experience at a birthing hospital, but also up to one year of pediatric care. And so basically um, what we know, and this is actually my own personal experience, is that who you are matters and that not all people are receiving the same standard of care. Um, for example, to share personal experience when I had my first child, I was in graduate school at Columbia and, you know, kind of living in New York City where I was not living before and asked around for recommendations for hospitals. Many of my friends who uh, had children at that time were my white girlfriends and they gave me very great recommendations for certain, for a number of hospitals, uh, one that they highly recommended and I went there and left traumatized. Um, and, and it was it was such a blaring, uh, a glaring example of the disparity in treatment. You know, we often said, were you at, you know, they said, were you at the same place? And the fact is, yes, I was. But at that time in my life, I was um, at that time in my life, I was not uh, yet married. And because I was in grad school, I was still on student insurance and I was treated like an unwed black woman with basic insurance. And and I never forgot that experience. You know, I lived that and I felt that. And so um, it was clear to me at that time that having the even well-intentioned experience of my girlfriends who were technically my peers, but by circumstances were not my peers at that moment in my life was not helpful. And so what Earth aims to do is to one, to on the front end, to give Give you allow you to access a review from someone like you. Um, so that would allow you to go into the app. You put in a few f- features about yourself, uh, your race, ethnicity, your sexual orientation, your gender, your income, et cetera, et cetera. And it would generate a review from someone actually like you so that this becomes a decision making tool for uh, black and brown women in terms of who they want to choose as a provider based on whether people like them have say that they've experienced good care there. Um, On the back end, we want to use this data to actually push for social change. Um, 
uh, and and so we so that's the other point of of the of Earth is to be able to say now we have these qualitative experiences and to be able to say go to hospital and say hey funny thing you know eighty percent of the black women or eighty percent of the Latina women all the same sex couples are saying they're having this specific experience and so we really want to take these qualitative experiences uh, turn them into data that can be used for systemic change um, but we're also very interested and this again goes back to my journalist hat of switching the narrative um, in black maternal mortality and black women care and that we are often framed as the victims right every headline is we're dying or there's a, a glaring statistic or a depressing statistic um, but with earth we use our consumer power to push for change. Um, and we will collectively inform each other of where we're receiving good care and use our consumer power to hold uh, physicians and hospitals accountable for the treatment we are receiving. That's 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 so incredible that that it's you know, that's it's for um, actual individuals, for for people who are looking for the care. But also it's this just like you said, it's going to be able to hold doctors and hospitals accountable you know they're going to be able to see this feedback people are going to see feedback and they're going to feel the pressure exactly exactly and what we've lacked is public accountability trust me hospitals know the experiences of mm-hmm. care, right? Many of us fill out those those uh, those surveys, but that's not shared publicly, um, and that's part of the problem. And unfortunately, it has been an industry that has been slow to self-regulate. And as we've seen in many other industries, sometimes you need the, uh, a, a disruption um, that's really puts the power in the consumer's hands to help move things along. So that's what we're hoping for um, with with Earth that it could be a tool to help move the industry along, even in their own efforts to self-regulate that's i uh it's it's you know with with technology i think it's become you know there's it's sort of a you know to use a cliche like a blessing and a curse right there's so much we're bombarded with so much information now it can be really overwhelming but but it's also being used now you know and this is an example of it for you know to make change Yes. Um, This is so important. I mean, we think about, you know, data for good and, and, you know, technology for good because there's so much so many things going on. Um, But I think this is this is important and it's it's important for us to think about ways that we can achieve social change. One other thing, you know, and 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 I know that um, there are many wonderful opportunities for people to share their birth experiences. But it was really important to me that it wasn't just that and that it is a, a tool for change. Um, and then going back to what you were saying about uh, when I say Yelp like, it is also a, a, a tool to actually decode bias. So, for example, you know, on Yelp, you can, you know, leave kind of a free form review. And, and Earth is really designed to literally walk you through the process of breaking down what happened to you. Was it, you know, lack of eye contact or dismissive tone? Or was it you requested a diagnostic test that was not um, done in, in a reasonable amount of time? You know, were, were you didn't, were your pain levels ignored? So we are literally trying to um, document those experiences so we can decode bias. And this is why that's so important, Abby, is because right now hospitals are, I mean, their approach to bias training has been a general overall approach. You go in, you sit down for perhaps an hour or two, you try to think 
think about your childhood and experiences and it's a very kind of cerebral moment. And, you know, that's helpful. But be, it's called unconscious bias for a reason. Right. And so, most oh, people, you know, most people aren't even aware of of the ways that the bias is showing up. And so we really want this to be an extra an extra level of data to really help people see what it is and to say this is the exact thing um, so that we can move this conversation about Bryce into a more practical area and not just deal with it in, as an abstract notion. And I, I was just going to ask you about the unconscious bias. Um, you know, it's yeah, they're, they're they're because people can say, well, I'm not racist. I'm not biased. You know, this hospital treats everybody equally or I treat, you know, but but. And, and we don't have the concrete examples or people, are, if it's unconscious, they're not even know, they don't know they're doing it or systemic. It's a part of the it's just a part of the way that it operates. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, and we see this being kind of carried out when you look at what's happening with medical students. Right. They're just being no, no one has taught them anything. Right. But they are being uh, trained within a system that is already racist. Right. And so right. it almost becomes the culture. And so unless there is a definitive anti-racist mechanism, which there isn't at this time for, you know, probably most of all places, it, it, it becomes almost like swimming in the pool. Right. The pool is going to get on you when you get out, you know, even no matter what you had going in and despite your best intentions, what's in the pool will get on you, perhaps in degrees. And so. um so right. so that's the issue. Yeah. And if you take a step back, even from medical students and society at all, we're all raised in a racist society. You know, we're exactly. we're all exactly. brought up in this and we all have this on us. And it just plays out, you know, and, and you're this is one kind of one area that you're focusing on where it plays out, but it plays out everywhere. And I saw this, you know, mm-hmm. we had um, obviously we know the big story right now with George Floyd and. um with the um the murder of him and yes. the the um i saw i think will i think it was will smith who said um racism isn't, isn't getting worse it's just being recorded Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And know, this is the thing about the phones. I was saying to my friend yesterday that, you know, we're all on our phones more because we're in quarantine. Right. Yeah. And on one hand, as we think about, you know, the brother Floyd and even, you know, more incidents or even what happened in Central Park. Yes. Um, that the phone has become a tool for survival for black people and right. not necessarily for justice, but at least to document. Um, but for me, you picked this last week and I was sharing this with some other mothers yesterday. It is also a form of trauma. Right. And so for me to get on my phone right now and to perhaps just go on Twitter or social media that I need to do for my work is traumatizing because I have to see in the feed the the recording, the this, the that. And it's incredibly traumatizing. So the phone is a tool. The phone is a source of trauma. The phone is a, is a, is a potential piece in the solution. And right. It's, and it's it's too much right now, to be quite honest. And so, yeah. you know, it is it is a very nuanced time. And so we really want to focus on Earth being a tool, uh, not a source of trauma, um, and yeah. to make sure that it's built to actually, you know, deconstruct and, and tear down the systems that we know are being, you know, played out in all of our feeds. Right. Yes. I, and I see that, too. I can absolutely see how it's a, a source of trauma. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, uh, go ahead. OK. <laughs> no, I was I was just going to say the other thing uh, around. 
Abby, I lost my thought. I'm sorry. That's I'm okay. Sorry. It's okay. I was going to ask you. So, so we have now we have, you know, we're talking about, you know, pre pandemic, we can talk about how, you know, the bias and the, cause you, this, this app, you, you came up with this app before the pandemic, right? I mean, this was. Yes, yes, yes. In fact, you know, interestingly, this project started with my son and I. Oh, yes. I I wanted to ask about that, too. Yeah, yeah. And so he is a serious math and science kid, um, a real coding kind of kid. And, you know, I am that is not the part of my brain that works best. And so, you know, he would tell me about things and go to science camps and math camps. And I would just be like, son, I have no idea what you're saying, but I'm so glad you're happy. So um, but, you know, through this project, it was a way for us to kind of bridge our worlds. And so this all started. We started attending uh, app development classes at NYU. They were offered for free for alum. um, And I went there for undergrad. And uh, so it was a great way for one for me to uh, kind of blend our worlds, but also to show him, you know, how his his field can be an application for women and, and children. And so it's, it was a great experience. And so um, so this started a while ago, and then I started taking it to hackathons and different pitch competitions many times with my son on stage with me. Uh, we had a little a, a Good Mom and Son show for our pitches that we practiced. Um, and so, yeah, I have been working on it. And I feel like, you know, it's been also beautiful and as you know, for, for my children to see an evolution of a dream and a vision, right? And that we started on something that was an idea. We worked on it. We acquired the skills and tools to make it real. And my son worked on developing some early wireframes. And then I, you know, we, we went to opportunities. And, you know, so so that's been just an amazing process, particularly as a mother. Um, and it's been very gratifying to have my son along with me in this journey in that way. And um, and also for, for both of my children to see what happens, you know, when you can apply hard work and um, really see something through. Yeah, and for him to experience, oh, for, him, for him to just see you making so much change in the world and to be a part of it at such a young age, to see, you know, how you can, you know, use your, use, use what you're good at to make these incredible changes for people. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I appreciate that. And sometimes they get that. Sometimes, as you know, I'm just mom and they want to know what's for dinner. <laughs> No matter what I'm trying to do to change the world. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I can feel that. I feel that. Um, So so we were talking about so we were going to talk about the pandemic. So we're 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 talking about this conversation that we've had, you know, so so far could have just been a regular conversation pre pandemic. Mm -hmm, You know, the mm -hmm. bias exists. The racism exists. The the. um, the um, the outcomes, the health outcomes um, are there. And we know we know these things. And so now there's a pandemic. What are you seeing, yeah. um, you know, in the black community or for people of color that are, you know, in the in the maternal and infant world that you're in? Yeah. And, you know, Abby, think, thank you for acknowledging that distinction. Um, we know that the pandemic is only exacerbating things that already exist. Right. Similar right. to what we were saying about the Will Smith comment that it's just documenting um, something that that has been there. Right. Um, and so what we're seeing, I mean, having known that black and brown folks were disproportionately uh, on, on the receiving end of mistreatment during birth and, and other 
interactions, we're just seeing that exacerbated. Um, we're just hearing more instances. And now, as we know, in many states, particularly as the pandemic broke, doulas who have been proven to, to reduce birth out, to improve, I'm sorry, doulas who have been proven to uh, improve birth outcomes for black women and, and other women of color were suddenly uh, kicked out of hospitals. They were deemed visitors mm-hmm. um, and not recognized as the critical medical um, staff that they are, as many of our healthcare organizations have recognized them as. And so this, you know, in in a bigger picture, my feminist language is about kind of control of women, but also what we know um, around these experiences being exacerbated, particularly as those who have been trained to be eyewitnesses and advocates, particularly for those such as black women, women of color, were were cast aside, were were kicked out and taken away from the process. And so, this was very concerning. And, you know, I live in, in New York City and certainly the stories here. We had a number of, of deaths um, of, of mothers after childbirth. It's just been deeply, deeply concerning. Um, and so this is why Earth is so important. In fact, we have ramped up our uh, experience, collecting experiences during COVID-19. So if there are any uh, women of color who have given birth during the pandemic, please share your experience at birthwithoutbias.com because we have uh, created a unique uh, portal to capture specifically those experiences. Um, and also we are uh, giving, uh, we are raffling off gift cards weekly um, in, in, in acknowledgement that people need support and that their stories have value and matter. So. Um, you know, any help in spreading that word would be appreciated. And so uh, and so the pandemic has just exacerbated things. We see this also in breastfeeding, this separation. Um, we also see this in terms of the increase of infant formula marking in, in, in aggressive and inappropriate ways. Now, we know that formula is necessary. We also know it's really important that the babies who need it have access to it. But we've also seen uh, infant formula ones and, you know, social media videos of parents and families in tears because the shelves are empty. Um, I wrote a piece for the Washington Post about the interest, the, the surging interest in relactation where women are trying to uh, figure out how to either boost their own milk supply or restart their milk supply because of the pandemic um, and because of fears of supply chain issues and no formula on the shelf, um, which you know, reinforces what we have been told for years that breastfeeding is the best emergency preparedness plan there is. So all of these things, you know, have just been exacerbated by the pandemic and the racial disparities that existed in terms of birth outcomes and the racial disparities that existed in terms of breastfeeding rates are have just been further exacerbated by this pandemic. And it's it's very concerning. Yes, I um, for Black Breastfeeding Week uh, last year, I had on um, uh, a woman named, her name is Erica Byers, and she's a, a member of the community um, on Instagram. And okay. she shared a story that um, she, she's a black mother. She shared that when she, she became pregnant and um, she said that she was immediately became afraid. You know, she felt, mm-hmm. she knew um, that, you know, that she knew about the, you know, the, the risk, the, the maternal mortality rates mm-hmm. in the black community. And, you know, she was telling the story and I'm a white person and I'm thinking, I didn't know anything about anything 
before I got pregnant. I knew nothing about rates, anything like that. And and that and and for her as a black woman, she knew before even getting pregnant the dangers, you know, all around her in all the steps in her life that she was yep. going to go through. And mm-hmm. that was just something that really struck me because I thought that's just something I can't relate to. You know, right. birth was plenty scary for me but there was nothing I you know I never felt like the hospital might not be a safe place for me you know might Mm -hmm. that there might be people around me that won't listen to me or might dismiss me that was something that I didn't relate to you know and that is and that difference comes simply from our skin color difference yeah yeah so true Abby thank you for acknowledging that I mean I think one of the things that I often share when I'm speaking um, is that we need to separate the act of birth and breastfeeding from the experience of birth and breastfeeding right and so we look at birth yes we are all going to go through a 40-week gestational Mm -hmm. period Mm -hmm. and somehow get a a baby out of our uterus one way or the other right (laughs) but the experience of what that looks like is very different you know often based on skin color Um, can be socioeconomics. And so, and this is where our advocacy work really needs to be centered for everyone who cares about this issue, because you're right. You know, the experience of giving birth for a black woman is about fear. And that's unfortunate because we know what releasing those types of stress hormones can do to your fetus, right? And so it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where the birth outcomes are being impacted by the stress and the fear and the anxiety that exists because of racism but we can't really stop the racism. You know what I'm saying? And so yeah. how do we really ultimately improve birth outcomes, right? Um, and so these things are, are all connected. Um, and the more that we can uh, understand and have empathy for the experience of birth and breastfeeding, that those things are very different for many people, then we can get past this idea of birth as a event that is unique, that that is the same for all, because it is not. Um, Also, just having to note that fear has been used as a tool to control women and particularly control black people for centuries. Right. We have been, you know, part of the history. And I talk about this in my book is this use of fear of pain. Right. For women overall, which made us want to, you know, sleep, sleeping births were a thing and then Mm -hmm. epidurals. and, And we had this fear of pain. Um, and for black people, you know, the fear of whippings, the fear of lynchings. There was a reason why they hung us from trees in public. It mm-hmm. was a, it was a tool to invoke fear. And so we have to be clear about the ways that these tools have been used um, against all women, but disproportionately against black people and the ways that still continues. Right. And so in my work, I do travel and I do hear black women say, I am afraid. I hear black men say, I am afraid for my wife. Yeah. What, what is the impact on that of us, not just in that birth experience, but our, our bodies overall? And well, so, you know, go ahead. No, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. I because I was just reading an article yesterday about weathering and it was talking yes. about the yes. the impact of just living, just living exactly, exactly. as a black person and, and dealing with racism and, yes. and just under the stress of that. And we know that stress is horrible for the body and leads to serious health outcomes for all people. And then we talk about the, you know, the impacts of living in a racist society and all the things that, that we're talking about for for the. For the black community and the health mm-hmm. outcomes there. And you know what, Abby, I was just saying yesterday, this literally happened to me yesterday. Um, you know, we're in lockdown. One of the things that my son does every day is goes for a run. 
And, um, you know, we, you know, he runs right locally, you know, and I know his route, et cetera, et cetera. But after the shooting of um, Ahmaud Arbery, I was deeply afraid because he has had, you know, literally one outlet during this quarantine, which is that, you know, he's an athlete and he goes for his run and does his training. And now I had all this fear around that one thing. And in, prior to this, I was actually happy that we were locked down because I, I didn't worry as much when he was taking the subway or walking home from the train station. Those other points of worry as a black mother when you have a, a black male. Mm-hmm. But now his one outlet, his, his run became a source of fear for me. Uh, yesterday I was on a Zoom call and he passed me a note knowing that I had been working back to back because Zoom is our lives right now, saying that he was going for a bike ride. And, and I could not at the time you know, keep my professional focus and process oh. the information that he was giving me because it was triggering. You, you cannot just pass me a note that you're going on a bike ride, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even at age 16, because now I have to ask you a number of questions. Do you have ID with you? What is your route? Where are you going? What time? Like, it's just not a simple thing. And, and you know, I because I was in this professional conversation, I, you know, wrote back quickly a, a two questions and, 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 and allowed him to go. But when I got off that call, Abby, I was stressed. You know, and I needed to call him and I'm like, oh, my God, I've got to say this. And I forgot your mind about that. And I, I was, you know, as my daughter said, bugging out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but but this is my lived experience, you know, and I am certainly, you know, privileged to be resourced and, and, and have access. And so when we talk about these issues, is, is, it is important to understand that this is a universal experience. Right. We saw what happened to Serena Williams um, in her birth experience. So mm-hmm. this is not about poor women black women. This is not about uneducated black women. This is about all black women and including the greatest athlete of all time, you know, by many measures, mm-hmm. who also was disrespected by hospital staff and had a near death experience. And myself, you know, who daily experiences the stresses of uh, being a black mother in this world. And so, you know, I worry about my own health because it's, it's not just in the birth space. It is your whole life while you're raising children, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, I don't know. But I, 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 I feel, I mean, I hear you <laughs> and I see you and yeah, yes, it's you. got to be, you know, yeah. And we know that these, that these, that this is, I mean, this is, it's killing bodies, you know, living, yes, living is. this way. That's right. Some, some of us quickly as we watching our videos and some of mm-hmm. us slowly, right. right. As, as we see in the disproportionate, um, the other health disparities, whether we're talking about high blood pressure or heart disease yeah, right. or, you know, all these other things that are disproportionately harming black and brown people, which are also being impacted by higher levels of stress and this weathering, right. Even think about COVID, right. What happens to stress that compromises your immunity system? Yeah. You know, and so all these everyone's, you know, it's easy to say black people, more black people are uh, are suffering from COVID-19. But has anyone thought about why they may be more susceptible, even ones that don't have to that don't appear to be uh, having the known health risk factors that they have enumerated? Perhaps, you know, like the, the racism and the weathering also exists in our immune systems. So this is complex and, and it is not it is not to be oversimplified um, and it is not to be ignored. You know, right. And and I and when I think about, you know, when I think about the like low, you know, the low breastfeeding rates in the black community and I think about how it just turns into this vicious cycle in my brain. And, you you know, you, you say so there's low breastfeeding rates and then 
the low breastfeeding rates have lifelong consequences. And, yes. And then, and then, as we know, the the lack of seeing breastfeeding keeps rates low. Right. So then so then there's exactly. the fact that there's low rates and then there's people having babies and they're not seeing breastfeeding around them. Mm-hmm. And that can lead to them not breastfeeding. And then it's like the circle. Yeah. And not and, and even think about what we know about breastfeeding in terms of benefits to to the mother. Right. right? And maybe yeah. think about what's been proven about the reduced risk of certain cancers, you know, particularly breast cancer, which black women have a disproportionately higher mortality rate from. So the connections and, and, and the interconnections are just are just, uh, you know, abound. And so it is it is never a simplified thing. And to your point around, you know, this issue of visibility, that was often a key factor in our community surveying. People haven't seen it. And when you don't see it, um, it perpetuates an idea that people who look like me or live where I live don't do this thing. Um, and that's a very dangerous messaging. I'm also very concerned while I am, you know, optimistic but cautious about lactation rooms and forcing women into rooms to breastfeed. Mm-hmm. It is important for those who are comfortable, but we cannot lose the visibility of breastfeeding right. for everybody. That needs to be maintained in our culture. And so we, we, we want to make sure that is available for mothers who, who need, who want that, but also for those who choose not to, that that is not shamed or stigmatized in our culture. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about those rooms too. Yeah. It's such a, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask to go to to kind of continue on what I what Erica's story about how she was, you know, how she became afraid of of, um, you know, the birth experience uh, for her. She said one of the things that was really important to her was to find a black OBGYN. She was really determined to find, you know, mm. someone of her race to to deliver her baby. Is that something that Earth can do? Is that something that is that that do do you think that that's helpful? Do you think that that's something that people can do? I mean, you know, obviously. Yes, and and um, Earth will uh, connect people to resources, including you know, I know there's actually another app that does that. Um, and other resources that connect you to that. I, I will say with just, you know, to be honest, to be and keep my integrity to myself, mm-hmm. that I also remember that, you know, doctors, even black ones are swimming in that pool too. And that while that can be a protective factor and a helpful factor, I do not encourage people to take that as a, you know, sign as an immediate cosign. It's not an automatic safety net. It's not an automatic safety net. That is correct. Um, Because many have been swimming in that pool. They have been trained in that pool. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes a little bit comes off there too. We have seen that. What I will say is that we need more access to options outside the hospitals, right? I mean, I think that, and and I wrote about this, one thing the pandemic has shown us is that when we get to the root cause, it was the medicalization of birth. There was no reason why birth needs to happen in a in a in a hospital. Right. It is not a medical event. You are not sick. And so this this whole separation came from this ridiculous concept that people who are not sick are going to places with sick people, um, which is going back to the ways that the patriarchy has taken over the things that women do. And Mm so it is equally more important, in my opinion, to look at out of hospital uh, options. How do we get more access to childbirth centers? How do we get more access to midwifery-led care um, and, and have a doula there? Those things are equally as important, and I might argue more important, 
than mm-hmm. whether or not your OBGYN is black or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to push for those changes, which can affect all, you know, um, not everybody will be able to access a black OBGYN, like unfortunately, right. or a brown one. Right. But what can we do to make childbirth centers or midwifery care um, more accessible? What we found out this pandemic is that, I don't know if you read about these stories of women trying to drive across state lines to yeah. find a midwife who would do their home. Right? We've criminalized midwives yep. because of the medical system. And then women were actually driving to find one. How stressful is that? So why why aren't midwives you know, and home birth midwives uh, legal? <laughs> right. In, in every state. They, they are illegal. Right. And in people are and people are even I've heard stories of people just having unassisted births at home because they couldn't find one, maybe. And they're too afraid yes. to go to the hospital. And then they start looking for YouTube videos. I mean, this yeah. is dangerous. Right. That is actually dangerous, you know. Um, and, and, you know, shout out and God bless to those women who, who, who did that. I would be traumatized. But, you know, this this women deserve better. And I hope that um, within this space that we began demanding better. I've been leading a, a, a uh, series of online conversations called the Silver Linings Playbook. Yes, um, and it's been so exciting and um, I hope to have the recordings up soon for those who didn't participate um, in this in this first run. But what we've been talking about is how do we leverage this this new awareness, this awareness that women now have that, wait a minute, why can't I get a midwife? Wait a minute, why do I have to go to a hospital if I'm not sick? Wait a minute, why is this system saying that a doula who was recognized by every you know professional organization in the medical field as a respected medical uh, health birth worker is is now a visitor? Like, how do we leverage this awareness? What are the silver linings of this pandemic? And what can we do as women, as practitioners, as people who work in public health around this issue to literally shift that? And so it has been such a dynamic conversation. I had so much content that I felt we wanted to work through. It's been like a four week series. <laughs> I saw. So, so it's a four oh, year, yeah. four week series, right? And yes, it's called the Silver it. Linings Playbook. And we can find mm-hmm. it on your I saw it on your Instagram. OK, great. Is that yeah. where? Yes, you can find the information on my Instagram at IMKSalesHours. You can find uh, all the details at the website, KimberlySalesHours.com. Um, and, you know, we're real excited about this uh, about this series, what people have committed to. Um, and it's been a, a real process for us to walk through how do we leverage this? Um, history tells us that pandemics are, you know, society-changing opportunities. And so if that is the opportunity before us, you know, we, we have have a lot that to change and we can't let it go back to what it was before. Right. I feel very passionately about that. So um, I'm hoping that, you know, more folks get involved and that we could really use this moment to push for the things that we leave. Look, they, they figured out how to pay how to pay people for being off sick. We've been asking for a paid sick leave and other mm-hmm. forms of paid leave. It's like all these things that they said weren't possible have suddenly become possible. Right. And much of that disproportionately impacts women and can be an aid to women. So how do we make sure that the things that we need can stay in place um, and that the things that, you know, were put in place, quote unquote, temporarily can now become permanent because we realize that they're necessary, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And not to keep not and no, no pressure. <laughs> or anything. But um, so when you're talking about what, you know, what do we do? Where do we go from here? What, like, what can we do? What, there's people listening to you right now, you know, and what do you, what do you, what can we do if somebody is like, oh, I want to do something today, tomorrow, you know, where do we start? 
Do you have yeah. any idea? Or? I do have some ideas, okay. um, which we've been kind of fleshing out in this series. Um, so, you know, we've been really thinking through the the impact on lawmakers, right? And, you know, if anyone is not following Moms Rising, they do tremendous work in this area. But how do we really use our power with lawmakers um, and uh, to to push for change and to hold them accountable for um, making change? The other thing that's been interesting that I, we've noted in this in, in our Silver Linings playbook is that we've seen the rise, kind of empower and influence of more local leaders. And I think that we've been pushing mm-hmm. hard for federal policy, federal policy that is really important. But right now, there's a spotlight on our state leaders, even our city leaders, right? And so how do we leverage their moment in, in the spotlight to you know, advocate to them more. You know, um, we we may not get the federal policy, but we could start locally and, and let that bubble up. And so focusing local, start where you're at, um, your mayor, uh, go, your governor, um, really pushing that out. And then how do we as a community, I mean, you all have a tremendous following. How do we kind of harness our social media power? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and use that toward pushing for the change that we want. I mean, we saw what social media has been able to do to raise awareness about some of these issues we were just talking about in terms of racist interactions mm-hmm. and things like that. You know, much of that change was powered by social media getting behind it, right? And so we know that's a force, but we don't work collectively. And I often say, you know, we we work in agreement, but not in um, coordination, right? And so how do we, yes, we all agree that birth should be better. Yes, we all agree that breastfeeding should be supported. But are we working together to achieve that? And I mean, like, literally together, perhaps on the same day. Um, So we've been working on, you know, I've been leading a group that talks about coordinated actions, social media events, and things like that. And so, you know, these are the things that I think will be important for us to capitalize in this moment, because I believe there will be a small opportunity to act um, before, you know, those forces that want to go back to business as usual. Yeah. uh, you know, come like come now. Back right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, like yesterday. So. Um, so, yeah, uh, would you certainly would would love all of us to get connected. And this is the other thing, Abby, I think that that I've been talking about. And in that series is opportunity for cohesion among mothers. Right. And that, you know, we have allowed and I use air quotes around mommy wars because I believe that they were created by marketing mm-hmm. as marketing tools to basically sell us things and divide women. But, you know, as we are all in this new spirit of cohesion and we're helping our neighbors get groceries and we're, you know, really realizing that we're all in this together. What a moment for for mothers to also demonstrate that. And we could kind of end this dividing, whether that dividing is about breastfeeding or formula feeding, you know, another thing that I don't subscribe to, um, or about some of the other ways we have allowed commercial influences to, 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 to divide us, that we could actually come together around these core issues around birth and people not being separated from breastfeeding as a basic thing that we all can agree to. Um, and perhaps that could be the start of something else, you know? So I'm, 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 I'm encouraged as well by that possibility. Well, that's amazing. Those are fantastic ideas. I am on board. Okay, great. Well, I'll be, I will be in touch. <laughs> yes, you know, you, yeah, I would, I would love to, yeah, to be involved in everything that you're involved in. Thank you. Um, so thank you so much for being here. This is such a fantastic conversation. And there's so many things that you're doing. So I want to remind people the Silver Linings Playbook, which beca- which is a series that you're doing. Um, we can find that on, like you said, your your website is 
KimberlySealsAllers.com. That's correct. And you can find the playbook series there. Um, it actually, our last week is June 4th, but we expect to have the, the videos up if you wanted to watch the series. There was some group work mm-hmm. that we did not record because people were really working together to come up with these plans. But we'll be sharing those plans, the outputs from that work, as well as making the um, recordings accessible um, within the next 14 days after the, the session wraps up. So please, you know, stay tuned and watch for that. Okay, fantastic. And your Instagram is I am K Seals Allers. And don't worry, everybody, I'm going to put all this on our website, all the links so you can find it. (laughs) Yes. Um, And then for the Earth app, uh, you can check it out at birthwithoutbias.com. But please also follow the Earth app on Instagram or Mm. Facebook um, to to stay up to date. You know, the other thing that I really want to say, Abby, is like Earth is a tool for all women. And I see it as a tool for allyship, right? Because one, we actually need white women in the app so that we can see if there is any differentiation. If If we can see whether perhaps this hospital is just crappy to everybody, which is important to know, yeah. right? Um, so we need white women in the app to share their experiences for differentiation, and, and that's important. So um, I love when white women say to me, Kimberly, I want to use this app because if a doctor is not treating you know, black and brown women properly, I'm not going there either, right? And that, yeah, that's, that's powerful. Really, that is powerful. Isn't yeah, powerful? Yeah. Because now Earth becomes a tool for all women to use their experiences in service of the black women and brown women who are being disproportionately harmed by this, by this system. Right. And I just gave myself goosebumps explaining that because the the potential of that is, is so, so exciting to me and that all white women, um, all women could come into the app, share their experiences in service of creating the data that we know is necessary um, to help uh, black and brown women improve their experiences. And so, you know, I just want to say earth is a tool for, for allies, for allyship and I hope others will see it that way Um, and that you know, please stay up to date to learn, you know, we'll be coming as we go into cities and we'll be restructuring our work to capture review collection in different cities. Um, but also that please so to understand that it's a tool for allyship and we invite everyone to follow us and stay up to date. Fantastic. All right. So everybody should be logging into this app and downloading it onto your phone. Yes. And Abby, I just want to be clear. I will, I'll say this again. So Earth will launch in fall of 2020. Um, and so the app itself does not exist yet, but we are collecting the data that oh, will okay. be used okay. to, to seed it and launch it. Um, and so uh, if you want to leave an experience at birthwithoutbias.com, we are kind of pre-collecting interviews so that when the app is launched, it will have data already in it. And that's what we really want to do. Um, but stay tuned. We are looking to ramp up the app development um, given the pandemic and we are ramping up our online uh, collection at birthwithoutbias.com. Okay, so don't go to the app store. Go to birthwithoutbias, birthwithoutbias.com and start, yes, be a part of the the, um, creating of this app. And then we'll we'll keep everybody up to date, obviously, on when it comes out. So we should do like a big big thing when it comes out. I would appreciate a big thing. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, it, it's just been such a pleasure talking to you. I'm so it happy has. that we Same connected here. this way and um, it was so informative and I'm just so happy to, to talk about it. And I just want to tell you that, um, so you're, you're a co-creator of Black Breastfeeding Week. Yes. Okay. So Black Breastfeeding Week, you know, I'm a social worker. I went to the grad school and all that. And, you know, I, 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 <laughs> 
it, Black Breastfeeding Week, when I first started kind of following it, I have to tell you, I it, it has been such a tool for me to unlearn relearn you know american history it goes way beyond breastfeeding you know yes, just learning about the history of black people in america and you know white privilege and white supremacy and how this plays out in our culture and it has been black breastfeeding week has been the main tool i think of my education oh, of I'm all so of this honored to hear that and so and yeah really i mean you are making to, incredible yeah. you're doing incredible things Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you naming those things and being a demonstration of how those, you know, issues need to be named by everybody. Um, and we're really proud of Black Breastfeeding Week. We have announced the theme for this year. So oh. also if people are not following Black Breastfeeding Week on Instagram or Twitter, please do. Um, also on Facebook, we have a very robust Facebook community for Black Breastfeeding Week. So um, please check it out and let's get ready to celebrate for 2020. All right, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you again so much for being here. I appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule. Um, and it's been a pleasure. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all the great work that you guys are doing. I'm a big fan. Thank you so much, Kimberly Seals Allers. That was a fascinating interview. And we'll have everything that we talked about on badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com, where you can find uh, all of our links um, two other things that we talked about in the episode that um, for breastfeeding resources, all of our other episodes are at badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com and our show notes and information about scheduling your lactation consultation with Diane and signing up for her upcoming class. Yes, I have a class coming up on the 6th of June. And watch for these because now that we're doing things virtually, you know, it's kind of cool to put them up there. Anybody can join this class. Anybody can sign up for it. It doesn't matter where you are. We're doing it by Zoom. This class is going to be about pumping. And we're not even just talking about pumping. It's about pumping, when to start pumping, storing milk, overfeeding by bottle, starting with bottles, you know, what to expect from caregivers, what to expect if you're going back to work and pumping, like all that kind of stuff. So there's lots of things to cover. And it's it's interactive because it's on Zoom. So you get to ask questions and, you know, all that stuff. So it, it'll be fun. So look for that link on the website as well and the show notes. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.